is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Father, I want to thank you for this guy. Thank you for all that you've put in him over the years. And uh, Father, thank you that he's bringing your word to us this morning. So I just pray for your blessing upon him now, um, that God, you would uh, equip him, empower him, and Father, you would speak to us, encourage and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Graham. Good morning. I'm going to need your help this morning. It's a long time since I've used a handheld mic. So if my arm starts to drop, can you shout, Hiya, Martin? You trying to give it a try? Hiya, Martin. Thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> anyway, um, so this morning, have we got any teenagers here that are off to New Day next week? Can you show of hands? There's one or two, not many. Right, keep your hands up if you've been to New Day before. There's a very old teenager down here. Right, keep your hands up. This is where Joe's going to try and keep up with me on the video. Or not. I'm sure there were some hands up here a minute ago. All right, I'll come around here. So when you go to New Day, do the leaders ever do you a barbecue? Time. Oh, no, no barbecues. All right, let's change the tack. Does your dad do your barbecues at home? He does well done barbecues at home, yeah. <laughs> well done barbecue. Burnt sausages and cremated burgers. He doesn't use the word burnt, he uses the word well done. Okay. Right. That's cooked. Right, lads. I'm coming over to you now. Alex, does your dad do good um, barbecues? Decent barbecues. Decent barbecues. Oh. So what's your favourite barbecue food? Ribs. Ribs. Oh. Ooh. So, has your dad got his own magic formula for a sauce? No, he buys them from Tesco. <laughs> All right. Okay, Alex. Sli slightly harder question. Who do you think does the best barbecues in the Bible? I'll give you a clue. It's not Elijah, because he burnt the steak, he burnt the altar, everything went up in flames, so it's not Elijah. Who do you think does the best barbecues in, in Scripture, in the Bible? Jesus. Thank you. So, uh, so how long have you been going to church? Uh, I don't know how long I've been going to church. Ten years. So you know by now, if you get asked a question in junior church, the answer is always? Jesus. <laughs> so if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 21, please. And you start reading from verse 1. Afterward, 
Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberus. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Ghana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When Graham asked me to speak this morning upon this theme about desert island delights, about, you know, if you get shipwrecked and you can only gather one page of the Bible, which page would it be? Well, my first thoughts was of this passage because this is my idea of heaven. On the beach with Jesus, and Jesus is cooking a barbecue. Now that is my idea of heaven. And I thought, right, well, if we finish there, it's going to be a short talk. <laughs> and the next thing Graham asked, 10 minutes or 20 minutes? I thought he knew I was a Baptist minister. I usually get 40 minutes. But now I thought, okay, 20 minutes. So, so then you have to start to pray, don't you? Say, Lord, okay, what else do you want to say? And as I was praying, I thought the Lord was saying, Jesus, my son, he is the best chef ever. The best chef ever. And I thought, what? And as I started to think and mull it over, I mean, Jesus was there right at the beginning of the world, wasn't he? In John chapter 1, Jesus is the Word, and the Word was in the beginning, and nothing that was created wasn't created without Jesus' input. So therefore, Jesus created all those fish. He knows how heavy they are. He knows how long to cook them for. He knows what temperature to cook them for. Perfect fish cooked every time. But not only that, if he was there right at the beginning and created everything, he created all the plant life on the island. 
He knows which herbs and spices go with which fish to enhance the taste. And probably some of you now begin to feel hungry and think, I hope he goes up. But not only that, Jesus knows all the wild vegetables that you could cook to go along with this fish, with the herbs and the spices. And I don't know about you, but when you're cooking fish, one of the worst things possible is having to fillet it. Not for Jesus. Lay hands on the fish. I say, bones be gone. Perfect filleted fish every time. What a cook. But only as a cook, he's the best provider. Verse 9. He was already cooking fish before Peter dragged the fish ashore. He provides for the fish. He's the greatest one who provides for anybody. And you know, if I was on that desert island and I went out fishing, just as Peter and the disciples did and didn't catch anything, Jesus would be on the shore shouting, Martin, throw the nets on the other side. And then you haul in the fish. But even if I didn't catch 153 fish, just remember what Jesus did with two fish and five loaves. And fed 5,000 people. And not only that, but at the end of the picnic, the disciples went round and picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I tell you, it may just pay you to be a messy eater around Jesus. Just think when you finished your meal, picked up the leftovers, you may just have enough to last you all week. Let's put this passage into context. This passage in John 21 comes after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered death. He's been that perfect sacrifice of atonement for us. That all our sins have been wiped away. All those sins from the past, the sins of today and the sins of tomorrow, all been Wiped away. The slate has been wiped clean. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and conquered death. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I would have been a bit full of himself. So, hey, Peter, hey, I'm the man. I'm the man. Oh, Peter, you don't know how much it hurts upon that cross, but I did it for you. I'm the man. I paid for all your sins. I did it. But not only that, Peter, but on the third day, I walked out of that tomb and you should have seen the shock on the face of Satan. And when he realized that he'd lost the battle, not only for today, but for eternity, he was there trying to pull his horns out. Peter, I'm the man. But no, Jesus, who went through that sacrifice for us. Jesus, who conquered death. You could have been forgiven that after he met with the disciples, and I love that when he meets with the disciples for the first time, as he say, peace be with you. They needed that peace. But you could have been forgiven and thinking, okay, Jesus, 
You can now sit at the right hand of the Father. Your job is done. You've educated the disciples. You've been that sacrifice of atonement. You've conquered death. Now sit next to the God the Father on your throne and just enjoy eternity. But no. Where was he? He was on the beach cooking fish for the disciples. Now I don't know about you, but for me, that is the last word in hospitality. He is the perfect host. But not just because he humbled himself, but I believe that Jesus is the most fun guy to be around. Now you just think about what Jesus has been through. And the disciples are there eating the breakfast. Who came up with the idea of counting the fish? I mean, you're there sitting on the beach with the risen Lord Jesus. And somebody says, I wonder how many fish there were in that net. I'm pretty sure it was Peter. He doesn't tell us that. But Peter's that type, Peter's that type of guy. They said, come on, John. You know, the last time we had a big catch of fish, I'm sure there's about 120 odd, but that felt a lot more. Let's go and count them. And as they got up, I believe Jesus said, oh, guys, there's 153. Because that's the type of person I believe that Jesus is. He's a fun guy to be around. Thinking of fish. Back in um, Matthew 17, when Jesus is talking about taxes, and Peter's worried about where they're going to get the money from to pay the tax. Now, Jesus didn't say, go along to the bank and get a loan. What did he say? Go and catch a fish, open its mouth, and the coin will be there to pay the tax. I mean, <laughs> what? Jesus is a fun guy to be around. Just think that if Jesus wasn't a fun guy to be around, the disciples would never have been rebuked for stopping the children coming to Jesus. Because, you see, children don't gravitate towards boring people. Jesus is a fun guy to be around. Some years ago, I had the privilege of meeting an elderly American youth leader by the name of Mike Iaconelli. Anybody heard of Mike Iaconelli? No, I think he died in the 90s in a car accident, unfortunately. But he wrote a book called Messy Spirituality. And in that book, he writes about one evening trying to write a sermon. His wife was out, he put his two sons to bed, and as he was downstairs trying to write his sermon, all he could hear upstairs was crash, bang, wallop. And you know, parents... You get a little bit annoyed, don't you, when you get interrupted. And he ran up the stairs. And children, you know what happens next, don't you? The door flings open. And instead of a parent, there's an ogre in the doorway. And the ogre sort of goes, what are you doing? But as Mike Iaconelli said, as he got to the door... He just felt Jesus' presence. And as he opened the door, he felt Jesus say to him, Mike, 
if I was you and I was there, I would go and join your lads jumping up and down on the bed. So Mike did. For 10 minutes, he jumped up and down on his beds with his two lads. Then he took them into bed, went downstairs, and there was silence. And he finished his sermon. Whether it was any good or not, I don't know. But I believe that Jesus is fun to be around. He's the best cook, he's the best provider, he's the best host. There's only one problem. On that desert island, I'll be on my own. Jesus in the flesh will not be there. But as you read your Bible in the New Testament, it soon becomes clear that I live in Jesus, and Jesus lives in me. And not only that, but the scary thing is in Matthew 6, Jesus says to his disciples and to me and you, Sorry, I've missed a bit. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't in Matthew 6. Forget that bit. Having the Holy Spirit living in me, Jesus says, disciples and to us, who believes in him will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Can I be a greater cook than Jesus? You can ask Josh and my wife about my barbecues later. Can I be the best provider? Can I be the best host? In a sense, if Jesus is living in me and I'm living in Jesus, then the answer is yes. And if you lot get washed up on my desert island, the challenge is, can I be that good cook? Can I be a good provider? And can I be the best host? Now just park that thought to one side for a minute and let's move on in chapter 21. Let's read the rest of the chapter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's leave it there. Otherwise, you might be here for 40 minutes. Let's just put that scripture into context again. And if you remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus told Peter that he would deny knowing him three times. 
that before the cock crowed, that Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times. And Peter, being the type of guy that he is, said, no, no, certainly not. For those of you who have read the passages in Scripture, no. But Jesus, sorry, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And he was gutted. Now this is possibly the, the third time that the disciples have met the risen Lord. And I believe that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times. If you like to just to say that he's forgiven, he's been reinstated. But more than that, I believe that Jesus was saying, Peter, you're an impulsive burke. You're hot-headed. You jump in at the deep end in both feet. But I have confidence in you. Now, some years ago, in fact, more years than I care to remember, I was a youth leader in a village church. I've been a youth leader for a number of years. And uh, I don't know, I just felt God shaking the boat a bit. Our elderly um, minister had moved on. We'd got a young minister. And uh, they started to have prayer ministry after the evening services. Now, I have to admit, I was a bit skeptical because it always seems to be the same three ladies who go forward to be blessed with the Holy Spirit. And you could almost guarantee that within about 30 seconds, they'll be flat on the backs, speaking gibberish. And I'm thinking, is this what all the Holy Spirit wants to do? But anyway, one night, the minister asked people to come forward for prayer. And it seemed like half the church went forwards. And we had quite a good prayer ministry team. People were being prayed for. And then one of the elders came up to me and said, Martin, we'll get to you in a minute. I waited. Then the minister came to me and said, Martin, don't worry. We've not forgotten you. And then I looked round. And he suddenly realized that everybody's been prayed for. You, me, gets the prayer ministry team. I thought, oh, okay, let's go with it. And I have to admit, I don't know how I ended up on the floor. <laughs> but as they prayed for me, I ended up on the floor. I don't know how long I was there. But I do remember our pastoral worker, Judith, kneeling beside me and saying, Martin, do you love me more than these? I said, yes, Lord. Martin, do you love me more than these? I said, yes, Lord. And the third time, she asked me the same. And at the time, I didn't think an awful lot of it. But over the next few months, I ended up being interviewed at Spurgeon's Bible College, got a place down there, we started to organize the sale of the farm and or the, the cattle. I don't think any of those cows were mine. And while this was happening, our church had a split. For some months, every church members meeting we had, everything that we voted on was literally 50-50. And it split. 
as a youth leader, seeing some of the hurt that was, the teenagers were feeling. And the fact that they didn't know, that because their parents had now moved to you know, a house church that they started up, you know, where did they go? So as a youth leader, we tried to stay neutral to encourage all the, you know, the youngsters to continue to join with us on a Sunday, join the week for games and for the house group that we got going for the youngsters. So it got a bit awkward for some people because they didn't know where I stood. Was I still favoring the Baptist church? Was I favoring the, the split? Where did I stand? A lot of people didn't know. It didn't really matter because as youth leaders, we agreed that we're not going to point to one church or the other. We we're going to point to Jesus. And that's what we did. But some months after the church split, Judith, who had moved for the church split, came round to the farmhouse. And she could see that she was very, very nervous because she didn't know who I was supporting, if you like. And she came in and had a cup of coffee and she said, I was dusting earlier today. And as I was dusting the bookcase, I came across a commentary on John's Gospel. And as my hands went past that um, commentary, I just felt the Lord remind me of the time he prayed for you. And I asked you, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And I just felt I had to come and speak that to you. She didn't know I was going off to Spurgeon's. I was six months at Spurgeon's, and then for personal reasons, I stopped for 12 months. I had to go and find a church that would employ me as a student assistant minister, which we did. Our church was without a minister at home, but we had a moderator, an ex-retired minister, and he gave me some help in putting sermons together. The very first time I actually started to put a sermon together. And I met him at his house and in his study. And he said, Martin, I want you to start putting a sermon outline for John 21. Said, what? John 21? That's come up again. At the end of my course at Spurgeon's, I was asked who would like to preach at my ordination. So I went for my theological lecturer, John Colwell, bless him. He preached on John 21. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what he said. <laughs> I think I was too gobsmacked. We were called to a church in Doncaster, a very traditional Baptist church. And I can remember, in one of the early days, of walking around Doncaster and got to the marketplace, and it was market day. And around about the early 2000s, Doncaster Market was the biggest market in the UK. I was walking through the market, I just suddenly felt overcome. Lord, you've called me here to Doncaster. And so all these people, and they probably don't know Jesus. I just felt overcome. What can I do? What can I do? And I just felt the Lord say to me, Martin, you may be 
an uneducated farmer. You may be or may not be the best preacher, but I have confidence in you. And I felt the Lord say that to me. All the worries just disappeared. Now, I don't know what God's been saying to you over the last few days, a few weeks, a few months. And you might have been thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, I believe that what God wants to say to you this morning is, I've got confidence in you. I believe that's what God has put in my heart for you. And as I was putting this together, I remember an old preacher saying, Martin, when you preach, there's one finger pointing to the congregation. There's three fingers pointing back. When you're putting a sermon together, quite often there's more in that sermon for the preacher than for the congregation. And I'm thinking, what? Am I supposed to be asking the church round for a barbecue? I have to admit, I did not have a piece about that at all. I thought our garden is not big enough. I didn't feel that it was right. And then David Ash really rocked my boat. He sent out a message the other day. I hope some of you saw it. Devoted is back in 2025. And I just felt the Lord tapping me on the shoulder. And I'm thinking, a barbecue, a devoted in 2025? Maybe. Maybe. But what's God been saying to you? What has he been challenging you with? Let's just take a minute. I think we've got a minute. Let's just take a minute. Just be silent before the Lord. Can I just ask you to close your eyes and just be silent before the Lord? And just cast your mind back over the last days and weeks and months. What has God been saying to you? And then remember that I believe that God is saying to you this morning that he has confidence in you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we leave this place and go into the world, may we go hand in hand with your son Jesus, learning to laugh, learning to have fun, learning to experience your joy deep, deep inside of us. And Lord, may our ears be unblocked to hear what you're saying to us. 
And Lord, at times when you ask us to do something, it makes our knees knock. But Lord, I thank you that we don't do it on our own. We do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And we do it knowing that you have confidence in us. So Lord, as we leave this place, may we do so with a newfound confidence of the Lord Jesus living within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.